0: Amen. Hey, that's right. You guys know Pastor Tom. He's a prayer warrior. We're back in world religions, cults, and the occult. New topic is Scientology. Scientology. That's right. It's not science and it's not? ology, That's right. In fact, frankly, you know what it is? I'm just give you a little nutshell. It's science fiction occult. That's really what it is. The science fiction occult is really what it is. And maybe that's what Scientology means in the Southern Hebrew. I don't know, but whatever. But, uh, but you're thinking, well, that's a pretty serious thing to call this a cult right off the bat. I mean, are you sure? I mean, these people seem nice. They, they're well-dressed. Uh, well, we're going to get to that proof in just a second, and then we're going to start to go into the history like we always do. But before we get there, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two. Once again, this is the theme, and once again, this is uh, really dovetailing the same kind of uh, unfortunate premise that we saw with the previous study on Christian science with Mary Baker Eddy. Why did she do it? Well, I tell you what, she made a whole bunch of cash, and uh, we're going to see that. Guess what? Whole bunch of cash. How I many multi-multi millions of dollars are being ripped off of people with this new mental health technique? Uh, Developed a guy named L. Ron Hubbard. But Second Peter chapter two verse one. When you get there, say moo. Hey, that sounds music to my ears. I just want to cry and close in prayer, but let's move on. Hey, but what's it say? But there were also false prophets, Peter says, among the people, just as there will be, meaning in the future, what? False teachers among who? you right and here's what they're going to do they're going to secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign lord who bought them uh bringing swift destruction on themselves and many not just a few not some not some many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute in their what what's their motive in their greed it's all about the money these teachers will what they'll exploit you they'll use you for their own personal gain with what Here's the key phrase, stories they have made up. And boy, do we got a story to tell with Scientology. Wow. You thought that, uh, remember uh, in Mormonism and the story that Joseph Smith came up and everybody supposedly came from this planet Kolob and all the multiple, man, L. Ron Hubbard puts him to shame. <laughs> but wait till you hear the story he made up. And that's, he actually earned a living off of makeup up stories. He just used that ability and came up with a new religion. And he mingled it with the occult that's what we're going to see lord willing tonight but they, that's what they're going to do in their greed they're going to uh, exploit you with stories they've made up but their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping Chrome translation you don't want to be a part of that group okay you want to stick to the truth but again that's you say well hey that's a pretty harsh thing calling these guys a uh, cult i mean how do you know that well as we've been seeing what is this sign what are the classical signs when you're uh, in a cult and or following a cult leader Source of authority is always wrong. Scientology does not follow the scripture at all, okay? And uh, then we're going to see their their view of God, their view of Jesus, man, the nature of salvation, etc. You get all those wrong, and they get every single one of those wrong, okay? And at least with some of the other cults that we've seen so far, they want to give you the premise, the idea that they, oh, we follow the Bible, and then, of course, what's the thing? But... We also follow. And remember what the what the uh, the issue is with the gospel or source of authority? Anytime somebody says to you, oh, it's Jesus, but Jesus, or, or Jesus, and, that's not the gospel. If somebody says, oh, we follow the Bible, all of our teachings come straight from the word of God, but we listen to so-and-so, or we also consider, and we do, that's not the source of authority it's the bible alone it's the gospel alone jesus christ alone okay and that's what we're saying we're going to in the other ones they would at least say that oh yes the bible but then you know ellen g white or the bible and uh, supposed joseph smith and the bible and you know uh russell uh, uh charles hayes russell or the bible and mary baker Eddy, and, and you, know, also, you know well these guys <laughs> eh, just chuck the bible this guy whipped up a story, man. <laughs> okay, now they want to try to pepper it, and believe it or not, they will have the audacity to say that it's perfectly compatible with Christianity. <clears throat> oh, I mean, it's so far out there, I just can't even wait to get started. But again, you're thinking, well, wait a second, how do we know that this is a cult? Okay, so I'm gonna basically, what we're gonna try to do tonight is I'm just gonna give you a little quick overview of why they are obviously way off base and a cult. Then we're gonna begin an investigative journey into the history. This is just gonna be part one. And you're gonna see this guy, not only was a great science fiction writer who wrote up a new religion, but he combined it with the occult. And mainly that's where we're gonna stick tonight, his occult ties. Okay, is where he got a lot of his inspiration from. But Scientology is uh, uh, founded in 1953 by a science fiction author, a guy named L. Ron Hubbard. You can see a picture there. He gained popularity due to some uh, Hollywood celebrities who embraced it, and we're not there yet, but uh, we're gonna see that these people specifically, I got them on tape, uh, they specifically target the Hollywood elite. They don't try to get, if they can't get at them personally, they will literally chum up with people who are their friends or acquaintances, whatever, so they can get access to the people. They specifically target the Hollywood elite. Let me just give you for way of teaser, a few of the folks that have already fallen uh, for their lives. Kirstie Alley, you guys know her? Yeah. Remember, Cheers? she's into this. Erica Christensen, may not have heard her, but I thought this was interesting. She starred in the uh, uh, Christian movie, The Case for Christ, that just came out. But she's a Scientologist, man. What's she doing in that film? Well, I thought that was interesting. Tom Cruise, of course, is one of the big ones. Uh, Doug e. Fresh, he's a rapper. Isaac Hayes, the musician. Kelly Preston, well who's she? I, she? That rings, oh, that's the wife of John Travolta. Both of them, of course, are in uh, Scientology. In fact, L. Ron Hubbard wrote a book called Battlefield Earth, and it was John Travolta who starred in that, tried to promote that thing, but it's all about Scientology. Uh, and this one I thought was interesting, Greta Van Sustrum, you know who she is? She is the commentary she for almost 15 years on Fox News, okay, on the record with Greta, right? Scientologists, okay? That was very interesting, but that's a little teaser. We're probably gonna have a whole study just on how they target the Hollywood elite and why and, and things of that nature, okay? But are they really a cult? Well, Hubbard became a multi And what did we just read in 2 Peter 2? What's the motive for these guys? Why are they coming up with these stories they made up? Greed, Greed. They're, they're getting your cash, man. Okay, and uh, in fact, one of the most common criticisms of Scientology is it's nothing more than a complex money-making scheme. In fact, quote, the LA Times reported that the financial policy of Hubbard's organization was in Hubbard's money. Here's what he was all about, folks. He admitted, make money, make more money, make others produce so as to make money, direct quote. So how many guys would say he's probably fulfilling Second Peter 2? it's all about money man this guy whipped it up now they also teach i mean we're going to get into this in more detail each one of these we're going to explode later but i just want to give you a quick overview so you can think well he's being too harsh call him a cola. they're nice people you know all that stuff no they they're a cola. scientology teaches that mankind is an immortal being called a phaeton Doo-doo-doo. that sounds science fiction right well he's a good science fiction writer but it's called a thetan now but did you know not only are we supposed to be these immortal beings called thetans but did you know that we're not even originally from this planet wait till you hear that story that is whoa okay but i don't have time to get into that and they say he says that man is trapped in matter energy space and time what they refer to as messed so apparently there's a mess down here and he's going to try to clean it up with his story so uh salvation for the scientologist comes through the process of what's called auditing okay and the whole goal and again we're going to get into this way deeper later the whole goal is getting rid of these things called engrams okay and they basically these are supposed to be these negative inputs in your brain your past whatever okay and uh, in your unconscious and they're blocking you from your full potential and they've got to be removed well guess what uh it takes to get them removed money Right? Auditing is the lengthy process and can cost not hundreds, not thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, I just watched an interview, I think yesterday, uh, with uh, Leah Remini, who right? came out of this, and she's really exposing that lately, Scientology and stuff. And one interview, she said she probably gave upwards to $3 million to Scientology. Million dollars uh, to this. Now, they say, though, but this is the benefit. That's right. When all engrams are finally removed, the thetan... Okay, can once again control MEST instead of being controlled by it. Okay, and, uh, and until such time that you work your way to be free of the mess by being audited, not by the IRS, this is probably as bad as being audited by the IRS, <laughs> anyway, with all due respect, in case you're listening and you work for the IRS. But, uh, uh, but basically they said the goal is, you, you gotta get rid of this, you gotta get rid of all these negative engrams so you can be your full potential, the full Satan, right? Because if you don't, you're gonna be reincarnated, you're gonna have to do it again. Well see, he's pulling in a lot of different stuff, we'll get to that in a little bit as you journey through his life. He got into Hinduism, Buddhism, he got into Freudianism, okay? Because again, you gotta go back and find out what are these things that are blocking you. What's Freud do? The reason why you got problems today is because you had this past experience with your mom. And it's like, so he's like a combination of stuff that he all kind of threw in a pot, stirred together, and he whooped up a story, right? But anyway, Scientology is very expensive to pursue, right? Every aspect of Scientology has some sort of fee associated with it. It's a money-making scheme, right? This is why, quote, Scientology's pews are filled with only basically the wealthy, Okay, it's also very strict religion with very punitive uh, uh, against those who would try to leave behind his teachings and membership. Now, if you've seen any of those programs, back to Leah Remini, okay, uh, she admits how they basically harass and threaten and do that stuff. Willing, eventually, we'll get into how that got started with L. Ron Hubbard when he was still alive. And they basically had this task force to literally go in, sneak in, break in, grab records, do whatever, threaten people, threaten lawsuits, do what, just intimidation, just to get people to shut up about what was really going on with the organization. So it's been going on. They basically have their own, to use the term, military task force to go in and intimidate people, shut them up and who knows what else. Okay, so it still goes on today, right? Now it's scriptures, if you wanna call them that, are solely limited to the writings and teachings of Mr. Hubbard, again there as you can see. Now basically uh, one aspect that I call, they don't even call him uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, sometimes it's just L-R-H, okay? And then uh, some of them just uh, call him source. Source, like to some sort of a deity or something, whatever. But uh, source, in fact, when I was uh, in uh, a hotel room, uh, where were we at that time? Reed, I don't know, I think it was D.C., Washington, D.C., uh, flipping through, they had a Scientology channel. They got their own channel now on cable right? Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, but anyway, I was, I was flipping through it, and I said, okay, ooh, hey, I'm, just, I'm getting ready to get into this stuff. And so that, that episode that I was watching was all about their records. They spend millions and millions of dollars on record. Everything this guy wrote, everything he recorded, every audio videotape is locked away in this hermetically sealed, all kinds of crazy stuff, because that's basically their Bible, is uh, all his writings. Okay, now, though Scientology's claim that Scientology is, listen, compatible with Christianity, turn to your neighbor and go, Ugh. <laughs> yeah because it ain't not even close man uh the bible counters every single belief they hold to right scientology denies the existence of god and the bible uh and the authority of it the god of the bible heaven they deny hell they deny to a scientologist jesus christ is simply a good teacher who unfortunately was wrongfully put to death and they basically differ from christianity on every that's right Every, if there's one consistency, 100%, every Christian major doctrine, every single one of them. So how in the world could you sit there and say, oh, well, we can just do compatible with Christianity? Back again, I was watching another interview with Tom Cruise. And basically, that's the premise because guess who will go along with a one world religion? Scientology will because they believe that truth is you're going to be grabbing from all these different ones. And so that's probably some of their premise behind, oh, it's compatible with Christianity. No, it's not. Okay, but that's what they want. You want to pull from anybody. Uh, The God of Scientology, they believe that there's multiple gods and that some gods are above other gods. Well, then you wouldn't be God, would you? Right, because supreme beings means what? Supreme. God, by definition, is supreme being. So how could there be more than one? And then how could there be a hierarchy uh, that defeats the the nature of of trying to be God? Uh, uh, Basically, Jesus, again, they deny his deity. Uh, and, and things, they, they actually put him more as a lesser God and that he just gained, uh, gained legendary status over the years. Okay, and, uh, and, and things of that nature. Uh, sin, Scientology, listen to this. Scientology believes in the, and again, all these things we're gonna get exploded in much greater detail, but I wanna give you the case again. Why are these guys, right the gates, I say unashamedly, they're absolutely a cult as well as the other ones we saw. Sin, they believe that the inherent goodness of man and, what? They believe in the inherent goodness of man, right? So, anybody ever married? I'll just leave it at that because we want to have a good night tonight. Let's just move on. But anyway, so it, well, excuse me, what's the Bible say? We've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, right? The heart of man is deceitfully wicked, right? Surely I was born a sinner, you know, uh, David said, right? I didn't become one. I was born one, right? I was, anyway, so they teach not only the inherent goodness of man, but listen. They t- this is, listen to these words. They teach that it is, a, it is despicable and it is utterly beneath contempt to tell a person that they must repent or that he is evil. Whoa, and then what what'd you just say? You're completely compatible with Christianity. Are you serious? That's wild, right? But do you see how people would, would get into this? Oh, you're so wonderful. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need, there's, you're so incredible and all you got is these little negative things in the back of your brain that's keeping you from your full potential and if you just have hundreds of thousands of dollars preferably millions then we will help you out and you become a full thetan and yeah salvation according to them if you want to call it that they believe in reincarnation and that personal salvation in one's lifetime is basically uh, the only way you can get free from reincarnation is if you get audited and get rid of your mess, the engrams that's holding you back right and uh, things of that nature, okay? They believe that the religious practice of all faiths is the universal way to salvation, right? So, again, they're open to all paths, you know, or all valuable, all that stuff, right? Uh, and, and comparing the teachings to Scientology and the Bible, uh, there is nothing basically in common at all, okay? In fact, we're going to get into it uh, uh, later, but uh, they believe that not only do you need to get free of the mess, okay? As we saw, uh, the mess... Uh, matter and energy and space and time whatever but when you get free from those supposed limitations then you basically can control that is what they believe so what does that make you like a little god or something you control matter and space and time telling you the guy's a great science fiction writer right but anyway so uh, basically Scientology while uh, it disguises itself and sometimes do what cults do and that peppers itself with Christianese Christian language It is not Christian at all. In fact, quote, diametrically, it opposes Christianity, again, on every core belief. That's right, sake of redundancy, I'm going to show that picture again. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this, baby. We're going to talk about now the history of L. Ron Hubbard. This is where it came from. It came from this guy. Okay, L. Ron Hubbard, but wait till you hear his background. Because, again, when you know a person's background, we've seen it in all the cults. You see why they get steered in the direction they go. You see why they teach what they teach. And it helps begin to fill in a lot of the blanks, okay. Today's, but i start with this guy, L. Ron Hubbard. Again, he's often referred to just by his initials, L. R. H. Again, some in the group in Scientology call him Source, okay. And he's the founder of the Church of Scientology. He's a, a science fiction writer was for many, many years. Okay, uh, he wrote for for oodles of years. Uh, it, trying to eke out a living, tons and tons of science fiction stories, essays, and things of that nature. Uh, It wasn't until later that he really, at least he was making buku bucks off of Scientology, but it wasn't until later uh, when he wrote Battlefield Earth and, and Mission Earth, I believe some of the bigger successes uh, I think in the late 70s, 80s, somewhere around that time frame, uh, that's when he really broke it big into uh, making money off the books anyway. But most of it, when he was writing, you know, he was e- trying to eke out a living uh, with his family. But he eventually, in around 1952, I think, uh, he published a branch of, quote, self-help psychology. And of course, it's this book here, Dianetics. You guys ever saw that? Yeah, it's all over the place and things of that nature. That's his. Now notice the tagline there at the bottom. The modern science of... Mental health. That's what we just came out of, right, with Christian science, right? You see if you can just, you know, get your mind. And that's the same thing. But you need their help. Remember the practitioner? You need a practitioner in Christian science to help get rid of all this wrong mental thinking and be free and perfect health and all that stuff. Same kind of premise here, but kind of throwing in science fiction, throwing a bunch of the occult, and that's what you got. And uh, so that you can be clear from all those things Holding you back, but that's his book. There, the big thing, Dianetics. Okay, wait till you see why did he choose the phrase Dianetics. But we'll get to that maybe next week. Uh, That's pretty interesting. Hubbard again, he developed this into a new movement called Scientology. And Smithsonian Magazine has him listed as one of the 100 most significant Americans of all time. Of leading people to hell. I think you forgot to add that part to the sentence, okay? Uh, he was born in Nebraska in 1911. He spent much of his childhood in Montana. Now, here's a clue that something's going wrong, right? And this is from his uh, son, Ronald DeWolf, okay? He said, quote, his dad, L. Ron Hubbard, had, quote, first discovered magic. Now, this is gonna be the theme of tonight, magic. Now, magic is spelled with a K. When it's spelled with a K, it's not, when it's just the C. in theory, Okay, that's like, you know, card tricks. Hey, look at the rabbit out of my hat. You know, stuff of that nature. Look, watch this. Ready? Piece of gum. Yeah, no, that's not okay. So we're not talking the stuff that they do here in Vegas and all that stuff, okay? When it's spelled with a K, you're talking the occult. So when you see that out in the public eye, and if you see them spelling with a K at the end, that's the occult, right? This kind of little little spelling that they have going on amongst themselves. But he got uh, discovered magic, the occult, at the age of 16. And he got it by when he read a book by a guy named Alistair Crowley. And we're gonna get into this deeply tonight called The Book of the Law. That was the book by Crowley, right? And Hubbard joined the Rosicrucian order, the ancient mystical order of the Rosicrucians. Okay, now that's a secret society. Lord willing, starting 5,322. When we actually get to the final chapter, uh, Freemasonry, I'm going to use that just to give you a heads up, an excuse to deal with a bunch of secret societies, not just Freemasonry. We'll go into the Rosicrucians, we'll go into the Illuminati, we'll go, go into some of the government stuff with the Council on Foreign Relations and Trilateral Commission, all that stuff that they say are behind the New World Order. So, but anyway, so he got involved in that. So 16, when he was 16, man, he got deep into the occult. And I'm talking the dark stuff. Okay? So that, that's not good but it has affluence in what he did. So when he, growing up, his dad was uh, posted to the US Navy base in Guam and Hubbard, he travels to Asia uh, and uh, in South Pacific in the the 20s there. Uh, This is during that time, around this time frame when he gets exposed to Buddhism and Hinduism, hence his belief in what? Reincarnation, so he gets dabbled into the occult. Then he gets into the Eastern mysticism and things of that nature, okay? In 1930, he enrolled at George Washington University, but he dropped out in his second year. And basically, what you're also gonna see is this guy is not only a great storyteller, he is a almost, I would almost wanna say a pathological liar, okay? And uh, even the, the Scientologists themselves, when they're confronted on some of the things that he said and they wrote and whatever, uh, they, they'll just lie straight to your face, Okay, and I might share some of those interviews later with that. But he began as his career, uh, career as a prolific writer, uh, Pulp Fiction Stories. Uh, he married a lady named Margaret Pauly Grub. Okay, not to be confused with that awesome fishing bait. You guys ever get ones, you're digging for worms, and it's like you found this gold in the dirt, it was a grub. I mean, that was guaranteed you was going to get a fish on a grub. I'm sorry, the spirit of Kansas came out on me on that one, John. <laughs> That was good fishing bait, man, but that's not her. She was not a grub. That was just her last name, for those of you wondering. Uh, but that was her name, Margaret Polly Grub. Now, he actually went into the service himself, okay? He was briefly in the Marine Corps. Uh, he was an officer in the Navy during World War II. Well, this guy must have been in crazy, cra- well, some of the research that I came across, I don't have time to go into, but basically, he used his writing skills, and he basically wrote him as being a very important person that he needed to hurry up quick and become an officer, Right, so that. so the guy I'm telling was a great con artist, storyteller, liar, and things of that nature. So he gets up there, though, that he commanded two ships but was removed from both of them. Not a very good guy. Okay. After the war, he goes, listen to this, here's where we go down to the occult. We're getting ready to turn the page. After the war, Hubbard moved into a Pasadena mansion with an occultist and engineer, a guy named Jack Parsons. Anybody know who Jack Parsons is? You will tonight, right? Uh, anyway, in 1946, Hubbard and Parsons collaborated with an occult uh, series of magic ceremonies and rituals called Babylon Working. I'll get to that in a little bit. And Hubbard became uh, sexually involved with Parsons' 21-year-old girlfriend, a girl named Sarah Betty Northrup, okay? Ultimately marrying her despite Hubbard still being married to his first wife, Paulie. So he's a polygamist as well. So now let's uh, turn the page. That was just a little teaser of why they're a cult. A little bit of his background. We'll revisit that probably next time as well. Okay, and continue forward. But now I just want to drill the point home where this guy is getting his inspiration, why do they do what they do, and just how absolutely creepy it really is. This guy is straight out of the cult. I'm telling you, he took a mixture of science fiction and the occult and blend it all together to create this religion. Dabble in some Hinduism, Buddhism, self-help, secular psychology, things of that nature, and that's what you got. So we're going to take a look. That's right. Ready? Let's do a drum roll All right. Dun dun dun. It's now time to enter the strange world of between Scientology, jet propulsion laboratory, and occult sorcery. Woo! Yeah, because that's what we're going. All right. Now, one of the weirdest things you could believe is this meeting that happened. It was uh, in California in the 1940s, and it started with this guy, uh, as you can see here, Jack Parsons. Okay. Jack Parsons uh, was a young man, he was a chemistry fan. Uh, he made a bundle of money off of inventing solid rocket fuel, and he sold it to the military. Now, what's interesting about this guy's background is uh, he didn't have really any scientific qualifications beyond just high school. But uh, his enthusiasm piqued the interest of other graduate students, okay? And so a band of them got together, and they created what was called the Rocket Boys, okay? Or they were also called the Suicide Squad. And basically, it's like the Ultimate Guys Club, right? Because we ain't going to make just pipe bombs. We're going to make rockets. Now, this was at a time when the field of rocketry was looked down upon. It's like, come on, what have you been, you know? Uh, watching, you know, t- reading too many science fiction books. Don't you? you know, there's no such thing like today. We say, oh, rockets, schmockets. Everybody knows about rockets. We use them all the time. Well, this is the guy that really started it all, okay? And they're basically experimenting out there uh, in the middle of the- But they call themselves the Suicide Squad. Guess why? Because it was really dangerous and blew up a lot. <laughs> You're going to die doing this stuff you mess around with, okay? So that's that. So basically, these ended up being some researchers from Caltech. They founded the Jet... Propulsion Laboratory. You guys ever hear that? Yeah, if you're in the military, you heard of that, uh, especially so. The Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, that's where the recent uh, Martian rovers were made. Okay, it's still a leader in space exploration today, exploration at all, period. Okay. Uh, JPL scientists have put robots on Mars. They've sent probes into interstellar space. They collected dust from the tails of comets, and guess who it came from? This guy named Jack Parsons started the whole. Thing okay Now, in fact, uh, uh, he got a lot of flack for it, and basically a lot of people felt that he was pretty much a kook, okay, but what's interesting is he continued with this interest with the Rocket Boys, the Suicide Squad, and basically he pulled it off. He was able to develop what people just mocked and laughed at him. Well, once he began to show that he could actually come up with rockets, and this was really viable, uh, that's when he started to make his cash, because people says hey, can we help, right? And then, of course, he worked with the military, and on it goes. Now, listen, here's, what, here's where we're going with this. It's not just an interesting guy, okay? And this is who Hubbard partners up with. I'll get you in a second. But listen, he was one of America's greatest space pioneers. He also happened to be one of its greatest occultists. This guy was in the dark, dark stuff. All evil's evil. All evil's dark. This is Bad. All right, this is what Parsons uh, made this fact even clearer when he developed an interest in magic, again with the K, right? So basically by day, he's a rocket scientist, pioneer. By night, he's doing heavy duty occult, right? All right? By the late 30s, he began frequently the meetings of the Ordo Templi Orientis, and that's an occult society and the, or also known as the OTO, and that was created by this guy, Alistair Crowley, right? As we, as we see there, and uh, as was already mentioned earlier. Okay, oh, and what was the book that uh, L. Ron Hubbard? Uh, uh, Dianetics, right? right? But uh, he had also come across whose book? 16, when he, Alistair, this guy here. Now that's Alistair Crowley there on the left when he was a little bit younger, as you can tell, doesn't look like it's working for him too good. Okay? <laughs> he's just looking, he's not just messed up, man. He's looking, he looks evil, right? With all due respect, folks, this is the not good. But that's the famous Alistair Crowley, right? He basically is a, and we're going to, believe it or not, we're going to get way, I'm just going to give you a little smattering. More of his ties with Jack Parsons, ties with L. Ron Hubbard, who created Scientology, right? But Lord willing, when we get into the aspect of the occult in our rural religious cults and the occult, we're going to go down deep on this guy. Because out of this guy eventually came Anton LaVey and the modern Satanism movement today, etc., blah, 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 and and things of that nature. But this is Aleister Crowley. He's a, quote, heroin-addicted, sexually perverted, God-profaning master of the dark arts who the tabloids christened as, quote, the wickedest man in the world. This is who Jack Parsons was a devotee of. And not even just a devotee. He was the representative on on the West Coast, right? Now, at these gatherings, Parsons watched strange rituals being performed. Uh, Most notably, they would do what was called a Gnostic Mass, which was a twist on the Catholic Mass. And uh, on a black and white stage stood an altar embossed with hieroglyphic patterns, hosts of candles, an upright coffin covered with gauze, a gauze curtain, out of which the group's leader would appear popping out of the coffin. Poetry was read, swords were drawn, and sexual deviancy that I cannot mention was practice. It was a highly charged sexual atmosphere. Wine was drunk, cakes were made out of, and parents, if you've got any kids here, use your discretion because this is dark stuff. Okay, wine was drunk, cakes were made out of menstrual blood, and that was all consumed. This, I say it again, I'm going to say it repeatedly. This is what Mr. Parsons was involved in, who invented the rocket industry, who was best buds with L. Ron Hubbard. And we're just getting started. Now, uh, Parson was a acolyte of Crowley and he was a generous financial supporter of him. Okay, now Crowley had a philosophy and it was called Thelema, Thelema, okay. And again, we'll get into this probably later when we get to Lord willing, the the, uh, occult stuff. And Thelema basically was a type of religious mindset if you want to call it that. But it was a mindset that spoke of radical individualism and self-fulfillment. And it was wrapped around a phrase, this, it came from Crowley, do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. Now what does that sound like? That's Satanism. And so basically the whole premise of him, what he believed is removing all restraints, all mor- morality strains, any restraint of any kind. And that's why they got into such dark, You can do whatever you want to do. Now, what is the marching orders for our society today? Do whatever you want to do. Not just do whatever feels right, but it's all about you. Do what thou wilt. That is at the core of Aleister Crowley's uh, premise and that he promoted. Okay? But that's what's going on. That's where that came from, from this guy. Right? So it goes on. He says this. Parsons was hooked on this. He became intrigued with Crowley's belief that uh, sex could be an intrinsic component to magic, k rituals lifting the practitioner onto a higher plane of consciousness now while some of his suicide uh, squad colleagues the other rocket guys work that his buddies that work on these rockets uh, they admitted that okay this is kind of kooky but they kind of put up with it because the guy was literally a genius when it came to at least with the uh, rockets and things that developers in fact at the group's testing when they would test their rockets uh, it was said that parsons would be chanting crowley's Uh, pagan hymn to pan okay prior to igniting his rockets I'm not going to read that to you I looked at it myself it's evil okay but pan if you're not familiar is supposed to be this deity pan on the left is the classical one uh, dealing with in the the uh, Greek cultures and uh, over here is the baphomet this baphomet is the statue that they're wanting they have been putting and petitioning to put in courtrooms around our own country with children on either side looking up to him as a role model. That's going on in our country right now, folks, right? But it's, it's a spinoff of Pan, okay? And as you can see, it's basically straight out of, that, where do you think Satanism got their symbolism from? It's from Pan, right? Pan, of course, was the half man, although with a goat head, and, and the bottom half with the goat with the hooves and stuff, and that nature with the horns. So it's basically what we would say a depiction of Satan and things of that nature, okay? Also had the flute. Pan was big on music. Think Satan's in the music industry today? Yeah, just a little bit. And also panic. Pan pan is where we get the English word panic from. Did you know that? Came from this guy, right? Or this, you know, supposed deity, uh, little g, okay? And uh, basically what they believed is if Pan was fighting for your army back in the days uh, with the Greeks, I believe, uh, that was a good thing because he could shout and he would throw the opposing army into a, Panic, that's where we get that word from. It comes from uh, this entity here, Pan. But this is the guy, as he's not, he's not only involved in all this stuff, but even when he's testing the rockets, he's chanting this hymn to Pan. It's just just a weird, eclectic kind of a guy. Okay, so in 1941, Parsons and the Suicide Squad, they founded something called Aerojet Engineering Corporation. You remember that one? Yeah, uh, my brother's company actually has a, a contract uh, with the Aerojet. So it's very interesting, so they found that, and that was uh, an outlet to sell the rockets to the military. Uh, And and again, uh, the people who used to, at this point now in his career, uh, they used to make fun of him, deride him, you're a wacko, you know, one of those people with the, you know, uh, nobody can make rockets, now everybody's wanting, so he's making big bucks. This guy's got it all going right now. 1943, uh, with the need for advanced research, now he wants to go even deeper, more into his rockets. Uh, That's when he comes up with JPL Laboratories, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, to continue the study, to take it even further, Uh, and at the same time he was reaching his professional peak, he also found himself moving up the order with Aleister Crowley, the OTO, and in fact, he eventually became the group's leader on the West Coast. So take Aleister Crowley, who the tabloid said is the most evil man in the world, complete drug addict, perverted, dark arts, the hold on yards, Jack Parsons was the compliment on the west coast in California. Isn't that wild? Making rockets. Interesting, right? And, and, in this, and listen to this quote. Listen to this quote from this guy. He says, just think about this for a second, how wild this is. One of the top minds driving America's early rocket program, a program that helped fuel the space race and Cold War, was at the same time a leading figure in the world of the occult. By day, he built rockets for the government. By night, he emerged from a coffin to perform sex magic, K, with his followers. Okay? Now, Parson used his money, because he got a lot of money. Got a lot of money from a defense contract, uh, folks, and he bought an old mansion, and it included a whole bunch of these folks. I mean a whole bunch of eclectic crowd, frankly evil crowd, Uh, pagans, artists, scientists, writers, you name it. Uh, Parsons bought a mansion on Pasadena's Millionaire's Row, moved the headquarters of the OTO into it. So now this has become the occult headquarters in Pasadena. And one person said, quote, it was a huge wooden house A big, big thing full of people, listen, some of them had masks on, some had costumes on, women were weirdly dressed, it was uh, like walking into a Fellini movie, women were walking around these light, elegant, translucent togas with weird makeup on, some dressed up like animals, like a costume party. Just a weird, evil setup. I don't know how much time we got, but uh, uh, some of the projects i have done some work in, in the past in LA on some... Uh, media projects, uh, met some producers and stuff, and and uh, the one guy was uh, a Christian, and he was invited, you know, because it's all about who you know down in LA, right, and working on your projects, and uh, he told me of a party he went to, and he said, man, this thing had to be the most evil thing ever, and it reminds me of this kind of an atmosphere, and he talked about how people were dressed kind of weirdly like this, and someone have like a mask on of a goat or something, whatever, and Another person, weird makeup and some eclectic like clown outfit or whatever. And then hanging on the wall was a, 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 a baby without the head on it. And just stuff, just weird, weird environment. But that's what it sounds like this is. That's straight out of the occult. Stuff that goes on. Oh, and by the way, that's in L.A., so that's the same area. But anyway, so now the, these people basically had a libertarian streak. And these people in this giant mansion, okay, oh, which by the way, you know what they call the mansion? The Parsonage. Get it, Jack Parsons? The Parsonage, right? And they basically took Crowley's slogan, do what they, thou wilt, uh, serious. That was their mandate. They did whatever, anything. Hallucinant drugs, free love, long before the hippies discovered, right, uh, this guy. So this is going on in the 40s and 50s. Gee, I wonder what was the backspring of the 60s movement? That was nothing new, man. That was just a springboard from this kind of stuff, right? Uh, but anyway, and, uh, and oh, by the way, some of those musicians, who did they also promote? Even, we'll get to that in just a second, right? So he had followers all over the world, Crowley did. Parsons was the big West Coast representative, okay? Leader in the world. Uh, but speaking of those musicians, right? All this is going on, this deep, dark stuff. Uh, Crowley was included as one of the figures on the cover of the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band. This was in 67. If you look way up to the top there, second in from the very top, and open it up, that's Crowley's head there. Uh, I don't think you could really see that, but over there on the right hand side, it looks like a little uh, um, ventriloquist dummy or something like that. I think it says something like that, if I recall right, uh, welcome Rolling Stones or something like that. And you are going, well that's weird, why would they put that on their album along with Crowley? Right, things of that nature, because guess who also got into uh, the Crowley? That would be the Rolling Stones, as you can see here. Crowley being depicted uh, with his movements. And do you think it just happens to be by chance that Nick Jagger is making the same exact pose and things of that nature on their album called Sympathy for the Devil? I don't think so. So they also got into it as well. Uh, also, the uh, motto of Crowley, Do What Thou Wilt, was inscribed on Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin 3 album. Okay, uh, this particular one. In fact, they took it so far that uh, it wasn't just on the cover; you were going to get it whether you wanted it or not, because it was actually inscribed on the actual original LP. On the one side, it has "So mote it," okay, which is an occult term. "So mote be it," and on the back side was Crowley's phrase, "Do what thou wilt," directly engraved on the original uh, LP. Now, speaking of Zeppelin, another interesting tie was uh, their guitarist, Jimmy Page. He bought this place. This is called Bowl Scheme. This is Alistair Crowley's home in Loch Ness, Scotland. Okay? He bought Crowley's house in Scotland. And they had the film, the Zeppelin's film, The Song Remains the Same, was filmed uh, partly on those grounds, outside of Crowley. So they're all into this. In fact, uh, another guy got into this as well that time, David Bowie, okay, as you can see there, he made reference to Crowley in his lyrics in this... Uh, uh, song quick Sam uh, there you see you see the lyrics right there I'm closer to the golden dawn immersed in Crowley's uniform and things of that nature so you see these guys during that time in the 60s free love free movement was it was it were they did they invent something new or is this just the next generation picking up where these guys left off in the 40s and 50s all based on Crowley right it was in anyway so that's that's the same thing but anyway Parsons was among these followers Right? He was an early bird with these guys. These guys came later, but he was in there with Crowley. He corresponded them. Now, he sent Crowley money, right? Why? He just liked him. No, because here's the deal. This is going to be starting to sound similar like Scientology, because it all makes sense, right? In order to get Crowley's secrets to go to the next level in the occult, you had to send Crowley money. Interesting right and uh, and so Parsons he helped create again JPL during this time he sent this guy money to get more and more of these techniques right Uh, his neighbors couldn't stand him they called the police all the times because they were basically lighting bonfires in the backyard dancing in near nakedness and all kinds of immoral stuff going on again he called it the parsonage it was a it was listen a magnet for all kinds of those people I mentioned before as well as professed witches and Manhattan project scientists Another group of scientists, uh, as well as science fiction writers, and uh, they were just uh, caught up with this guy. One guy, a science fiction author, a guy named Jack Williamson, he remembered Parsons as an odd enigma. Ray Bradbury, remember him, was with Parsons. Uh, This is before he wrote Fahrenheit 451 in the Martian Chronicles. He said Parsons was wonderful and he was dazzled by his descriptions of space rockets. Sprague de Camp, author of over 100 uh, science fiction books, declared him an authentic mad genius, if I've ever met one. And Parsons was actually accused of seducing Aerojet's secretaries, inviting them back to his parsonage, this mansion, the occult mansion, where debauchery drugs and fire dancing ruled. And he often met visiting scientists at his front door with a snake curled around his shoulders. Wow. And at work, he would arrive late, it, bedraggled in the mornings, in a beat-up Packard, and uh, make it to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory like it was his own private uh, playground. And then when he'd get home at night, he would continue with his occult activity. Okay? Because he had a goal in mind. Okay? And with the help of L. Ron Hubbard, he he felt he had pulled it off. Okay? But again, this is where uh, they get into a connection with L. Ron Hubbard. So, during all this time, I'm laying the groundwork. So, this is a guy who's a pioneer in the occult, 40s and 50s, right? He's by day a rocket scientist, by night heavy duty occult, immersed in Crowley. Okay? All this stuff, dark arts. Okay? And uh, here comes. Uh, oh, I forgot about Ozzy Osborne. Ozzy Osborne, of course. What he wrote? He wrote the song what? Mister Crowley. Crowley. Okay, so he's in, and that's that's that shit me to a shock. But these guys here, we have. So this is Jack Parsons. This is his girlfriend at the time, Sarah. Okay, and there's L. Ron Hubbard. Right, Hubbard basically became Parsons' greatest friend, and then he became his frenemy. <laughs> right, and uh, he basically came to Parsons. He got hooked up with him. Uh, And his girlfriend, her name is Sarah Northrup Hollister. And they basically ran off with all his money. But I'll get to that in a second. So Sarah herself, now this Sarah is uh, not only did L. Ron Hubbard, who was already involved in the occult and Crowley at the age of 16, he not only chums up with Parsons, who's the West Coast leader in the world of Crowley and the OTO, but Sarah herself, who ends up being... uh, uh, Hubbard's second wife, she was massively involved uh, in the occult. Listen, her family moved to Pasadena, quote a destination that was chosen specifically by her family using the Ouija board. The Ouija board told us to go to Pasadena. She was deep into it before she even met uh, uh, Jack Parsons, and then later chummed up with L. Ron Hubbard. Northrop joined the OTO. She rose to the rank of a second degree member or magician. And then she meets Hubbard. So she's already deep into it. That's his second wife, Hubbard's second wife. He's not just involved in it. He didn't just chum up with this guy, but that's his second wife. So you think that has any influence on modern Scientology today? Yeah, big time. Okay, this is the background. Hubbard was a teller, uh, people would say, of exceptional tall tales, which he insisted his audience believe. Uh, His fellow sci-fi viewers, uh, uh, writers, viewed him with suspicion. Uh, One guy, Jack Williamson said, I recall his eyes and that I somehow associate with the gunmen of the Old West, watching me sharply as, if, uh, as he talked to see if, how much of it I believed, what he was saying, which he said, I didn't believe much. Okay, but Parsons fell under basically Hubbard's spell. Hubbard comes in the scene, basically this big storyteller, charismatic figure, and Parsons just loves this guy, Hubbard, right? The occult guy loves Hubbard, right? All right, now Hubbard, uh, they, they were best buddies. They fenced together, they discussed magic, with a K together. They perform magic rituals together. Uh, Hubbard moved into Parsons' mansion, taking the air of free love and do what thou wilt, like a fish to water, it says here. Uh, He worked his way through the denizens of girlfriends, wooing them and wowing them in equal measure. Uh, Parsons wrote to Crowley in 1946 about Hubbard. Parsons, the guy, again, involved in the occult, the West Coast leader, said this to Crowley, the wickedest man in the world, about Hubbard. He said, quote, Hubbard is, uh, he's got red hair, he's uh, intelligent, and we become great friends. He has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. Ron appears to have some sort of highly developed astral vision. He, Ron, L. Ron Hubbard, describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair, whom he calls the Empress, who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. What in the world do you think that is? That's a demon, man. Okay, he concluded ecstatically to Crowley. This is Parsons writing. He is L. Ron Hubbard in complete accord with our own principles. I found a staunch companion and comrade with Ron. Wow, this is the founder of Scientology. So basically, anybody that came there, you weren't safe from this guy and his sexual advances. And I'm talking about Hubbard, right? No wife, no girlfriend, it was safe from this guy's seduction. Okay, but anyway, so Hubbard. Their big goal that he helped him with was this thing that was called, this, is, this sounds like a science fiction story in itself, but this is this guy's life, right? So he worked together with him, right? And this thing called, it was a ritual called Babylon Working. Again, this is the founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory working with the founder of Scientology. Now, what's Babylon Working? This was an attempt by Parsons to incart an actual goddess on earth that would then give birth to the Antichrist. Not making this up. The two of them, Hubbard and Parsons, engaged in ritual chanting, drawing occult symbols in the air with swords, dripping animal blood on runes. Again, sexual behavior I can't mention. And I can't even mention that part. Uh, Hubbard became Parsons' great ally uh, in the quest to uh, create this goddess on the earth, this what they call Babylon. Okay, so Hubbard was, we're gonna do this thing, right? They engaged nightly. They did this uh, series of rituals for over an extended period of time, incantation, talisman waving, black magic. Uh, Parsons recorded all this in his diary. People aren't just making this up. It's on record. Right? Uh, <clears throat> he said they would do the conjuration of air, the invocation wand, the consecration of air dagger. At Hubbard's suggestion, they did it while listening to Rachmaninoff's Isle of the Dead in the background. They were calling up the spirits of an elemental mate uh, to raise up a girl whom this Babylon spirit can come into. Okay. Uh, Parsons, while they were doing this, mentions that wind storms occurred on a couple of the nights. One night, the power supply failed. Another night, Ron, L. Ron Hubbard was struck on the right soldier, had a candle knocked out of his hand. Parsons said, Hubbard called to me, and we observed a brown, brownish-yellow light about seven feet high. So I, Parsons, brandished a magical sword, and it disappeared. Ron's right arm was paralyzed for the rest of the evening. Basically, Parsons and Hubbard, they constructed an altar. Hubbard acted as the high priest in these events. Okay? As Parsons and ladies did other parts. Right? Not that L. Ron Hubbard was innocent of all this other stuff. Is this sounding weird or what? I'm not so not done. All right. Now, uh, basically, they continued to do this, and then uh, they felt that this Babylon would be a, 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 quote, bewitching redhead who would eventually give birth to the Antichrist. Since Babylon was a sensual entity, raising her required Parsons to do, again, things I can't repeat, while Hubbard chanted rituals and took notes and things of that nature. And listen to this quote. It was magic, with a K, yes, but it was also the future founder of Scientology performing sex magic with the founder of JPL in order to directly spawn the Antichrist. This sounds like a grade B whacked out Hollywood horror flick. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's just like Christianity, it's completely compatible. <laughs> <laughs> the prophet John has spoken appropriately. Are you, can you believe this? This is the background of Scientology, right? right. Now... And, and, uh, and listen to this quote from this guy. This is all happening down in Pasadena, LA. This guy says this, I think we can take this incredibly deranged situation as further evidence that Los Angeles has always been a weird place. <laughs> dun dun dun, yeah, no kidding, right? So anyway, so they felt that they made success. Right? And this was the ritual that went on on over a period of time every night. So working the rockets in day at night, you're doing this with L. Ron Hubbard. So Parsons wrote the next day, Babylon is incarnate on earth today awaiting the proper hour of her manifestation. And in that day, my work will be accomplished. Listen, he said, I shall be blown away uh, even as it is prophesied. And what's interesting, in 1952, he was blown away in a rocket experiment in his laboratory in Pasadena. Interesting. So anyway, at this time, while they're doing all these rituals, Hubbard then began uh, sleeping with Sarah, okay? Uh, One of the girlfriends of Parsons. Kind of the main one at that time, who basically took over for her sister, which that's all in the story, uh, and uh, and and basically uh, Sarah quote really fell for Hubbard. They were inseparable, uh, and then all of a sudden they believed this Babylon person. Remember they were doing these rituals, so this goddess, evil goddess, supposed entity, it's a demon, would inhabit in, in a lady, and then this lady would give birth to the Antichrist. Well, they felt that she showed up one day. There's a lady who showed up uh, at the parsonage. It's her, this girl right here, Marjorie Cameron. And uh, they thought, and they were convinced she was Babylon, that she was the one that the spirit went into, and she was going to give birth to the Antichrist. I did a background check into her. You want to talk about deep, creepy, creep, creep, creep? Man, she just, I I felt sad for her. I prayed for her. And, I, and, well, no, she's dead. I mean, I just, my heart broke for her that it's just, like I can't believe even after all this, um, she was heavy-duty in the cult, and now today, the, the art world considers her like this great artist, genius with the motifs. And you look at the things that she drew, flat-out demonic, just probably tortured mentally, adult, whatever. So anyway, uh, that's her. Uh, things that nature and uh, she was an adventurous woman who liked the idea of free love she thought Parsons was quote hot so she moved in and started participating in all these rituals as well but they thought she was the one right Uh, and they continued with all their different sorceries thing now she actually did become pregnant but instead of quote spawning Satan she killed the child through abortion so isn't this crazy right now so basically, Cameron's love affair with Parsons kind of went by the wayside but Hubbard's relationship with Sarah got even deeper. Uh, also so did Hubbard's fascination with OTO. For those familiar, listen, with the basic outlines of Scientology, it sounds very familiar to the background and the procedures and practices of Crowley's group, the OTO, right? Quote, to achieve enlightenment in the OTO, one ascended through many numerical steps on the way gaining access to more secrets and rituals from Crowley as apprenticeship went on. Giving money to Crowley was a good way to get more of his secrets, most of which involved achieving mystical power over one's body and the physical world. Hmm, Scientologists' adherents likewise ascend through many steps on the path to become clear, which Hubbard promised would make them invulnerable to physical things and also capable of controlling other people's actions. We'll get into that where he, well, we'll just have to get into that later. And in order to achieve this clear, work through these steps, Scientologists have to give money, right, in order to get to the next level. It's the exact same procedure that Crowley set up is at the heart of Scientology. Think it's a ink? I don't think so, right? Hubbard also Uh, 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 wrote Dianetics just a a few years after his Pasadena escapades um, and uh, and his other son, Nibs, uh, said that OTO's black magic was at the inner core of Scientology, okay? In fact, I was able to find an audio clip of L. Ron Hubbard because you think, oh, there's no way. This is all conspiracy stuff. Well, one of the benefits of recording everything this guy did, audio and video and written for him, Sometimes it gets out. This is L. Ron Hubbard admitting that he didn't just like Aleister Crowley. He was a good friend. Watch this.
1: Now uh, He could simply say, I have action. A uh, magician, uh, the magic cults of the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th centuries in the Middle East were fascinating. The only modern work that has anything to do with them is Trifle Wild in Spots, but it's fascinating work in itself, and that's work written by Alastair Crowley, the late Alastair Crowley, my very good friend. And uh, he he did himself a splendid uh, piece of aesthetics built around those magic cults. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, reading to get a hold of a copy of a book, quite rare, but it can be obtained, The Master Therian. Therion, The Master Therium by Alastair Crowley. He signs himself The Beast. The Mark of the Beast. 666. <clears throat> very, very something right.
0: Yeah, something or other is right. So in his own words he said he was fascinating in Crowley. Good book I can recommend to you. One of his occult books and he was his good friend. The founder of of Scientology. But that's right, today Scientology says there's no relationship between the two. Yeah, whatever. All right, so basically this is what you got. One guy says Scientology is the science fiction version of the OTO, of of Crowley, what he did. So basically that's where I wanted to pull in that background and we're just getting started in his background. But let me finish up the story with Parsons. Parsons basically when the war was over, he started struggling with money. I don't know, he maybe blew a lot of it, probably on a lot of the stuff he did and things of that nature. He tried to launch some of the businesses that sank. Uh, His friends, the Rocket Boys, they kind of grew distance with him. Who knows, maybe they're freaked out by him eventually uh, with what he was doing at night. Uh, But then here comes Mr. Hubbard, Mr. Storyteller, Mr. Liar, Mr. Con Artist, Mr. I'm out for the cash. And he, when this time when Parsons was really hurting for cash, he was getting down at the bottom of the barrel. Hubbard says that they need to go into business together selling boats. After all, he, in the past, in the military, you know, he would work, he was you know, on the ship. You know, things of that nature. And, uh, and so that Hubbard and Sarah would go to Florida, buy some ships, and then sail them back to Los Angeles, and then Parsons, Parsons and them could sell them all. So Parsons gave Hubbard his last $20,000, right? And uh, saw him, uh, Hubbard, and his girlfriend off. Well, Hubbard never intended to make good on his promise because as soon as he reached Florida, Uh, He was unreachable, right? So weeks dragged on, Parsons got angry. He flies out to Florida where Hubbard and Sarah had bought a boat and were pushing off from the port when Parsons arrived, right? Now, uh, Hubbard or or Parsons obviously got upset uh, and he actually started doing uh, occult incantations and uh, to bring in a storm uh, to destroy him. And uh, as the story goes, uh, a quote storm grounded Hubbard and Sarah and they had to come back in. So but either way so now you think oh they're in trouble now. No because they uh, he was going to press charges uh, against Hubbard and Sarah but uh, they were dropped and it's, they say likely because Sarah threatened to expose her unconventional relationship with him. So basically and by the way they never gave his money back. So they basically robbed the guy. Left the guy, robbed the guy partially. This is the founder of Scientology, <laughs> right? Two years later, after Hubbard, uh, 1952, uh, he shoots and he finally creates what's called the Dianetics book, okay, after that uh, event. And uh, and Parsons uh, died handling explosives uh, back on that. Now, it says this, the intense connections forged between Hubbard, Parsons, and Crowley could be random happenstance, could be one of those odd quirks of history. More likely, it was a side effect of the magic with a K that they were involved in, and listen to this, Hubbard claims that more than two dozen thinkers, prophets, psychologists, influenced Scientology. Everyone from Plato to Jesus, believe it or not, Sigmund Freud, Uh, but the record can now be righted that you have to include Aleister Crowley, the beast, Mr. 666 himself, as he called himself. That's the background, and we're just getting started, of the founder of Scientology. Do you think it's going to get any worse? Oh yeah, a little. A little, yeah. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple of things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray, to to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, The the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, If you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-rays, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the ten commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good, Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all gonna stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what he already knows. Hey God, let me in, let me in, I'm a a liar, I'm a a thief, I'm a a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer, and the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven. In that state, you're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says, God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail. You are going to the death penalty for that crime. And we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes, and by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, all of it, even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon his name, ask him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and Uh, Things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.